As I said earlier this morning, we're in for a real treat because we've got Jonathan Harris with us this morning. Jonathan works for Bible Society right now. And um, I met Jonathan, I was just thinking this morning, just over two years ago. And um, I was introduced to him after one of our ACC regional nights. And he said, I'm just new, moved to the area. And he, um, you know what you do when you meet someone at one of those pastor things? This is what you do. You say day, you find out their name, and then next thing you become friends on Facebook. So you can stalk each other's life and find out what's going on without really taking the time to get to know them. That's what happens, isn't it? And um, I did that. But then um, oh, maybe later that year, I went to Arnhem Land with Pastor Willie Dumas and um, on that first trip that we went up in the church. And um, I've connected with Jonathan just after that because he's got a connection to Arnhem Land and he was actually going there like a week after I got back. And so after that, we, we, we became mates and we started talking about that different connection. And you'll hear about that connection this morning. Hey, Andy, with your big, strong muscles, can you put that box on that table? It's not that heavy. Don't we? No, not the trolley, just the box. You got it? Oh, look at that. There you go. Do you want this turned around, Jonathan? Beautiful. Look at that set up. The anticipation is building. But anyway, I connected with Jonathan and we have become mates over the last two years. He lives not far from me where I live in Warners Bay and um, he does a great work with Bible Society and he's going to share. I've asked him this morning not to come and preach but to share some of his story and his story is actually quite inspiring because I actually believe that for all of us, God has an assignment. God has something that we are called to do, whether it be in our workplace, in our family, whatever it is, there's something significant for all of us called to do. And Jonathan's going to share a little bit about his story. And my prayer this morning is that he shares about his story, that God will be speaking to you about your story and what it is he has called you to do. So it's a great privilege and honor to have Jonathan with us. So why don't we give him a great welcome as he comes up just to share some of his story with us this morning. Is that on now? You know, I thank you so much, Lottie, for having me here. This is really is an honour. Thank you. I actually went down to C3 in Silverwater last week and I had one of these things stuck in my ear and I forgot about it. And we were filming giving Bibles to the refugees in C3 Silverwater and I was trying to sing the songs. I didn't know any of the songs and I was going, mm, ah, praise. <laughs> and you know, you're trying to encourage the speaker and the singers by actually, you know, mouthing. And at the end, I said, oh, no. I went to the sound recorder as a videographer. And I said, you heard all that, didn't you? And he said, yep, yep. <laughs> he said, next time, you know, just don't worry about singing or trying to sing. But hey, mine was off, I hope, that time. Thank you. Um, it really is awesome. I've been encouraged to share about knowing your assignment and uh, discovering your purpose, sharing a story about how you get to where you're at. And I don't think we're really ever over uh, what God has to do for us at any stage in our life. I know that some people retire and they're actually doing more than they ever did in full-time work. You know, I actually saw on the side here just these paintings. This is awesome. I love seeing these paintings. Oh, actually, before I talk about paintings, this, this is my family up on the screen. There's me and my son Ben next to me, my wife Wendy. We've been married 25 years next year. And my son Jackson and Isabella, she's 14. 
Another two, 21 and 18. Where does the time go? How bizarre. Anyway, the next one is um, this painting from a, a book that you might have heard about, Our Mob God's Story, which the Bible Society produced with a donation of $100,000. We got artists all over Australia to donate works with a scripture in heart that translated into their painting of their own choice for the sake of raising money for Bible translations for Indigenous people. And here's just two of the, the photos of creation in, in Genesis. Isn't that amazing? And then I walk in and I see this in church and I go, incredible. The experience I had in actually sharing when this book was launched, it got Christian Book of the Year in 2017, our 200-year anniversary for Bible Society. Um, in sharing the story, we had an Aboriginal elder, uh, you might have heard of Ray Minicon. He came in with his family into this uh, Anglican church in, in Vaucluse, St. Michael's Vaucluse, one of the most ancient but beautiful buildings with the stained glass windows. And Larissa Minicon, his daughter, stood up to share and she said, see these stained glass windows? We don't get God that way. And I was like, oh, the minister's in the front row. Don't be offended, please. She said, but see these paintings? That's how we get God. We see God through this. It makes you think, resonates with your heart, the land, the history, the people. And yet at the same time, the Anglicans, people like that have a lot of history in stained glass. They get God sometimes by meditating on those too. We're all so diverse, aren't we? And we welcome that in the Bible Society being interdenominational. You know, sometimes I felt a real calling on me from God compelled to do something you know your real conviction of just got to get involved in that but other times you know what God put me in situations where I was very unwilling and sometimes I pray for God's will as I'm sure you do when you're trying to make decisions about life and I find it very difficult because many times the answer isn't obvious and I have to just be bold and be confident and try and make a decision and just go for it anyway and sometimes I do these things with my wife's full support Sometimes I don't. There's, I'll share a couple of stories in a minute about how one, one I made without my wife's support, where she was struggling to support it, was putting pressure on that. Because I do believe that a wife, when you are married, you are a court of three strands. There are three of you. There is you, God, and your wife, your partner. Anyway, let my story begin. Um, I think this is going to work. I hope it, yeah, there we go. Anyway, that's our Mob God story. That's the book we're still for sale in Kurong. But up here... Right up the top where my mate uh, Michael Lottie went, so up to right near Jabiru, and almost the top center is a place called Owen Pelly, now known as Gunbalanya. My grandparents were missionaries since 1928 up there. Now they've both passed away, but my parents, my dad, wanted to follow in their footsteps to become agricultural missionaries up with the Aboriginal people in Gunbalanya. And uh, they went up there with me as a three year old in about 19, what was that, 1968? A long time ago. And they took me there as a kid and my two brothers were soon born afterwards and I grew up eating water lilies, chasing goannas with Aboriginal kids, eating water mussels and just loving it, absolutely loving it. Really, really wonderful experience, really, really special, treasured these things. This is a bunch of white fellow missionaries who turn up at all these mission stations. I do firmly believe in empowering the local people but in those days, boy, they were just really only a, f- a couple of decades really out of the bush. And there are a lot of white fellows involved. That's my dad sitting down on the right. That's me in his lap. I think I must have been about four or five at the time. My brother in the red boots, Peter. And here I've just got a bit of a quick footage for you of my brother, me trying to help my brother put him into my dad's cowboy boots and wear his cowboy hat. I'm so helpful, aren't I? 
And yet, this, these memories are some of the best of my life and were very, very formative for me. This is a school, preschool I went to, growing up with some of these local blokes. These trees we, they planted down are still there, down the main road of Gumbalanya. That's me. I've got to apologize to this young lady one day when I meet and find out who it is. Pushing around. These are the first silent movies my dad made up there. One of the first films made on the mission station. This is like 48 years ago. Incredible. And a very special time. But then after that, I actually went down my... Actually, just before I get into that, my, my parents left the mission station after they had started struggling uh, in their marriage and went to Darwin. And my mother ended up getting really discomfort, uh, a lot of discomfort living in the mission station and then disgrunt, disgruntled with the marriage. My mother ended up uh, leaving my dad and actually saying she's going on holidays and took her three sons over to Bali and we actually ended up running away from dad. He was actually way out in the outback working with the Aboriginal people in a buffalo shooting industry. And uh, didn't start my timer, mate. I better make sure I start that, otherwise I'll go on forever. There you go. And then when my father tried to find us with private detectives... Um, we ended up living away and running away over to the Gold Coast for another six to eight months. Eventually, my dad found me on the Gold Coast and found my, my brothers and took us back to live with him. He, uh, when I was 12, my parents divorced. My mother went down to Sydney. My dad stayed in Darwin, but then ended up selling up his uh, buffalo shooting industry, moving up to a farm near Barabat, Narrabri area, north of Tamworth, where I grew up as a teenager. And he said to my grandparents, can you please help me to raise my three teenage boys in their retirement days? retired missionaries who'd been pretty hard-working missionaries. Can you imagine it? Three teenage boys in your retirement. We grew up on the farm then. And then I went off to university and also a gap year as well. So on the gap year, I went overseas and I went to uh, Everest Base Camp. That's me just under the, at the base camp, 18,000 feet high, really working for mission, missionaries up in uh, Kathmandu as well. And then also in Borneo. We went right from Borneo right across Southeast Asia uh, working for Keep and having wonderful experience, but at the same time being extremely worldly and chasing girls half the time in the pseudo-missionaries. Uh, I don't know if they'd actually let us do that these days. That's me, and also into Karachi, where I worked for YWAM for a few months, handing out scripture tracts in the middle of Pakistan's Muslim community. You would not be seen doing that these days. You would not last very long, and maybe some people still do. I don't know. But they were quite formative, radical stages for me. But then I went off the rails, I went back to university. And I went back and I started studying. And then what happened was I started thinking, I'm free. I'm free from missionary grandparents. I'm free from having to work for missionaries. And all the drinking, the culture of university just hit me. And I thought, this is amazing. We had bathtubs full of beer. I started, there was, I'd started studying acting. Thought I'd be the famous actor one day, you know, the next Mel Gibson or something like that. Yeah, right. And, uh, and I started having these experiences where I, I got to try smoking. So I started smoking a packet of cigarettes a day because it was just cool. It was just a thing you had to do. For a year, I smoked. For a year, I chased girls. And then my conscience, my conscience really started ragging on me because it says in Scripture, 2 Timothy 1, I'm reminded, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you. I think he's trying to be encouraging to Timothy, saying, come on man, gee it up. I see in you, I see vision in you, I know you can be great. And I remembered in my conscience all the prayers around the table with my grandparents, 
all the church services, all the scripture readings. I remember the hymns we sung, There is a Green Hill Far Away. And my conscience would not let me go. So I started saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? There was one day at university in drama class. Um, we had an after party and someone brought in free magnums of champagne. And at one point I just woke up lying flat on my back going, how did I get here? Stumbled my way back to university, dorm at Robert Menzies at Macquarie Uni. This has just got to stop this. But I didn't know what to do. I had no best friends who were believers. And then this scripture came in, in 2 Timothy 3. Continue what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ. And it was at this point, I was walking down Lane Cove shops, and someone came up to me and says, Hey, mate, hey, have you heard about the Bible? Would you like to come to a Bible discussion? I said, mate, first thing I said was, mate, I know all about the Bible. Don't, don't bother me. You know one of those really radical people? You just, it's too radical for you. Put me on a back foot. And then at that point, I thought, you know, but maybe, maybe there's something in this. And he said, look, just give me a phone number. Maybe just come around for dinner sometime. So I gave him my phone number. Big mistake. <laughs> Started phoning me, following up, inviting me around for dinner. Okay, I'll just go around for dinner. So I rode my cousin's motorbike around without a license, put my packet of cigarettes in my top pocket and started just getting friend, becoming friends with my mate Mark, who cooked me a curry and the rest is history. He then said, oh, well, look, just, let's just study the Bible sometime. Let's just open the Bible between us. And so are these scriptures and this next one. This is a scripture that got me. John 8, even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you think with the background of being raised by missionaries, raised by people year after year of sermons, and that I would have turned out all right. But I had a lot to repent of. I was currently uh, sleeping with a girl at that stage. And they just said, Well, do you really, really want to hold to Jesus' teachings? Because, you know, you feel like I'm sort of godly, but I'm not. I know, I just know deep down I'm not. I had to make a decision. I thought it's either now or never. I was 23. Now or never. I just, and just, it, I just felt this incredible melting sense. I just had to make a change today. I said, yep, okay. Give me all the scriptures. Don't worry about doing one-by-one Bible studies. Let's do it all together. Let's go for it. I took them home. I read them all. I just saturated myself in the scriptures and reminded myself of what I'd been raised and what I'd seen in my, my grandparents. And then I said, yeah, I'm ready. And they took me to, had a church retreat down at Wollongong. Uh, they said, well, do you want to be baptized? And I said, well, I've already been, sort of had water stuff when I was a baby. They said, well, but have you really made a decision to be a disciple? And I said, no, let's, let's go for it. And so I was baptized in the ocean uh, when I was 23 years old. Very, very special time, uh, but very, very hard to really break out of the smokes, the girlfriends, <laughs> the stuff. And it took a long time of best friendships and mentoring, but the conscience and the scriptures really made a dramatic change. That was 1987. So after that, I went on a, uh, got inspired to really go into ministry. I decided, look, I want to give everything to Jesus. So this is my early mission team about 1989. I decided to finish my uni degree and go to Melbourne on a mission team down to Melbourne. We, a few of us here, that was my first engagement with a girl in the pink dress on the left and we ended up breaking that up because they want to be radical and go into the ministry and she didn't want to so that was heartbreaking um 
And then I ended up training for full-time ministry after being on mission. I went to New Zealand and trained over there, did radical evangelism, came back to Sydney, and then I started training to be an evangelist. I was appointed evangelist. I was married to my wife, and we started leading this church, but it turned out this church was quite legalistic. And the church was so intense and so legalist, they said, we're going to dominate world growth. We've got to save the world in one generation. And we're like so pumped and so excited about this. And yet what started happening is we sort of had this one-upmanship of, let's evangelize more than that other church. Let's do more. Let's read more Bible. Let's stay up every night not sleeping. And let's expect every single person who's baptized to do exactly the same thing. And we tended to sort of start to franchise Christianity a bit became very legalistic and it started really wearing myself and my wife down. We started having a couple of babies and at that stage life changes when you have kids and you really need to change in a way and adapt your Christianity to work within community, to work with your neighbours, whatever. There's many ways of doing ministry but we were burned out. God did a thing where right around the world there was this implosion in the church, this global church of several hundred thousand people where no one could cope. And we all started saying, but is this really God's will, this obeying, this legalism, this feeling like you have to, otherwise you're not really saved? It was just heartbreaking. And then I started talking and praying. And In fact, what happened was there was actually a major um, meltdown in the church and we lost our jobs because of money, just people stopped giving money. And we were so burnt out that we ended up going back up to Tamworth. And this is actually in our little cottage we actually bought up in Tamworth and we just basically didn't even go to church for about a year. But our kids started bringing friends home for parties and they were just sort of still only quite young, under 10. And then families, you know, you entertain people, come out for barbecue, pool party. And they started saying, what are these books on your shelf? You know, about theology and Jesus. You know, we actually want to learn more about that. We've, we want to hear more. In that year in this small little group in our lounge room, God taught us a huge lesson. And uh, five families were baptized in one year in our house, in our back swimming pool. And we just sang songs, we just broke bread together, took communion. We were completely unwilling to start any church, to be in ministry. We just said, look, okay, if you want to study the Bible, we'll study the Bible with you. But, you know, you really got to find your own conviction. We basically raised up everyone saying, well, we want you to do a lesson. We want you to lead Bible studies. You need to learn this quickly because I'm not going to do it all. And while you burn out, you just have no motivation. Yet God just kept on doing things. And he taught us it's all about his word transforming. Then the spirit steps in and transforms. Then I, was, I went around. I didn't know what to do. And I just knocked, started knocking on financial planning doors and mortgage-broking doors because I thought I was sort of interested in finance. Someone said, I'll oh, come and use our office in Tamworth and you can be a financial planner. Someone then met me and said, oh, why don't you take over my business from me and start you know, being a financial planner? So I had to study financial planning, the last thing on earth I ever thought I would have to do. But I had a business, I had to raise a family. Then after two years of trying to make money for people, learning cl- client relationships, learning budgeting, learning strategy I got a call from New Zealand where they said we'd like you to come back into the ministry so we can learn to be grace-centered church instead of legalistic church I said Wendy Wendy please I want to go back in the ministry I'm so sick of sitting in office for 10 hours she didn't want to go we'd moved about 15 times in our married life already and yet I said honey I just can't handle talking finance day after day so she said okay if this is what you really want to do we'll go 
And that was one of those moves I just shouldn't have done. I should have really prayed through and listened to my wife. And yet when we went over, I said to the church, I've got to go and learn more theology. So I went back and some of the lecturers gave me some books that really transformed me. There's one by Jack Deere called Survive by, uh, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. You might have heard, it's an older book. Because I said to them, look, what's all this Holy Spirit stuff? I was big on the Word. I was, bibli- I was a full bibliot, or bib- I was full of bibliolatry. Loved the Word, but really didn't listen to the Spirit. I thought all that Holy Spirit stuff, you've got to be careful with that. God, Bible, you can trust them, right? Read the Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, a recommendation of a lecturer, and it blew my mind. I thought, wow, there's something else here. Then I read Gordon Fee's Paul, the Spirit and the people of God, and realized a lot of Paul's teaching are all about the Spirit engaging powerfully with the church. That transformed me. Then I read Tim Keller's Prodigal God about God running towards his son. It wasn't all the effort of the son racing towards the father. It was the effort of God loving passionately this child who left him, which was just so unculturally against every cultural background in the Israelite days. And yet that, I thought, God loves me that much? He's going to forgive me all this legalism and rubbish I've been teaching people? Transform me. And that was because I went back to New Zealand. And this quote from Tim Keller still gets me today. It says, How religion works, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel, I'm loved and accepted, therefore I wish to obey. And that flipped my mind. If I really study, if I pray, if I release myself to the Holy Spirit, man, I just want to do more. I just want to do a better job. I just want to passionately love and evangelize and care for people. The church ran out of money in New Zealand. We were forced to come back to Australia. And ironically, you know what? Just back here, we actually came back for a holiday and we went to, I think it was um, Burrigal Cinema, and we saw the movie Australia. And we're just so inspired by this awesome outback and I miss my dad's farm and we thought, oh, I just felt the Spirit calling me back into this love. And so I came back and started working for Scripture Union. I had a bit, I sort of had enough of working for churches. I want to work for amongst all churches. Scripture Union, I loved it. We worked in camping. I learned how to really understand children, youth, the needs of uh, interdenominational community, working amongst many churches as well. Um, so I had camps and things. And I started actually doing something, working right up in the far west, up in um, northern New South Wales at uh, Burke, Brewarana, Gaduga, Lightning Ridge. And here's some of the Aboriginal elders I started working to try and get scripture into high schools. The need was immense. One of the elders on the left there said he was a pastor and he said, you know what, I just don't have enough time to get into the schools because last month I was at 32 funerals with my people. I was just gobsmacked, saying the needs, the needs of the indigenous people are massive. The health needs, the imprisonment needs, the challenges of really getting mentors involved in there, you know, the drug addiction. But then that's not all. It's not just Aboriginal people. The outback people are so remote. So they worked together with the whitefellas, and we got some scripture teachers and chaplains set up in some of those local schools out there. Just loved that work, bring people to the table and help them to partner. And lo and behold, I learned this term I was reading about, uh, Ken DeCreasy Dean. And this one thing, the reason I'm, I'm just putting these things in here because they're extremely influential to my life. Don't you love that? Therapeutic moral deism. What in the Sam Hill does that mean? The problem with youth today, and it was at least 10 years ago, is the fact that many people like to talk about God. They have a bit of deism. They have a bit of, you know, wow, there must be a God. There must be a power out there. And they want a bit of moralism. They want to do the right thing. 
Let's respect other people. Let's have equality and things like that. And let's make sure we, feel, we help people feel good. So it's therapeutic. When you throw it all together, you've got therapeutic moral deism. But is that really biblical discipleship? Repentance and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and then preaching the gospel clearly and directly. That's not that. And so I was really convicted and I want to throw myself more into gospel work because of the needs of youth instead of just being Mr. Nice Guys. But you know what? I, got, I traveled so much, I was traveling like two days a week out in the outback. I got exhausted. Some place I visited and stay on farms and just couldn't sleep. Sometimes the dogs had come up scratching under the beds and I just got so trashed and exhausted. I nearly had car accidents. And, and also I started working with some groups where we just weren't unified and then we had differences of opinion with my, the authorities and working with me and groups and I got absolutely burnt out with it, that as well. And I needed to take a break and I said to my wife, honey, I'm going to get bitter with this if I don't take a She said, okay, I'll go back to work. So I went back to gardening and homeschooling my kids and there's a beautiful tie-dye shirt my, my daughter made me. Yeah, turning compost piles, three years. And I, at this time, I started struggling, thinking, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? Why have you brought me this far, God? Am I supposed to be just doing this sitting up? But I loved homeschooling my kids, and I loved doing this. It was this point that I actually went to um, Pastor Darren Bonnell's church, and Bronnie Bonnell's church up in Tamworth. And we were living in Tamworth for the last seven years before we moved down here. Now, some things in the far west in Tamworth got really toxic and started affecting our kids. And we just got to the point where we just had to remove our kids from the situation. And God just, in a way, just said, boom, you've got to do something. So I then had to make a decision. If we're going to move, I had to go back to work. So I started looking around, could not find anything, didn't want to go back to where I was or into ministry. I just didn't, didn't really find a fit. So I got a call from uh, someone in the Bible Society. They said, we've got this role, and it's all for working as a national manager for church and community relations. I said, mate, I've never been a national manager. And also, I just got burnt out for traveling around too much. How am I going to do that? And he said, oh, don't worry about it. You just get them to fly to you. Yeah, right. Okay. I think, in a way, this reminds me of um, a scripture reading, and this is actually one thing that was on my heart. And in a Genesis chapter 41, I like to take an actual Bible with me places you know many times we actually use this thing now we actually partner i actually employ a guy who actually gets devotions to you version on the bible app you know the bible app you version so we actually collect devotions i'm sure he's going to come and talk to you lottie about that and uh get some devotions on there but i like to carry a physical bible around because i think it's a real it's a, it's, it's something that really is grounding and in genesis 41 verse 14 it says here so sarah sent for joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon When he had shaved and changed his clothes, <laughs> I'll just go back to the, the tie-dye shot. <laughs> when he had shaved and shaved his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You know, I constantly remember this story of Joseph because I just go blow me away but someone pulled me away from compost turning to working as national manager of the bible society now i oversee nine staff i travel to every state at least once per year i speak in front of thousands of people and i'm going what in the world happened 
it's extremely humbling. You know, I, I often compare myself to more to Moses, where I just said, no, I just, I just am no good. Public speaking is not my gift. It really isn't. I've had to go to Toastmasters for six to eight months. I've had to get a professional coach. I've had to practice. I've practiced this talk a little bit before I came here several times. And yet, like Esther as well, you know, the situation with Esther and Mordecai where she was raised up and put in place to say, listen, stand in the place there, protect the Jewish people just for such a time as this, for such a time as this. It's not me being awesome. It's God saying, I just need you right now. Boom. You know, so now I manage public relations. We do the fundraising right around Australia. We work together with Amity Printing Press, and I'll show you some slides. We partner with the Centre for Public Christianity. I work with the Eternity News team uh, right around Australia, and we also purchased Kurong Book Chain a couple of years ago. Now, all the profits from Kurong go towards Bible translation work. Whenever you buy a book at Kurong online or in the shop, and I just love this. I am just so profoundly honoured to work amongst these guys. It's just incredible. You know, and also we work in over 150 countries and in fact working in 200 countries with reach. Do you know the Red Cross works in 193 countries? United Nations is in 198 countries. The Bible Society is in 200 countries around the world. I'm just blown away. You know, I did the job interview with the Bible Society and they said, you know, so what do you know about the Bible Society? Oh, they get Bibles to people. <laughs> and they said, well, you realize we're a mission organization, don't you? I said, yep. So I did some research, but I didn't know they were missional. In fact, currently every year they choose 38 projects internationally to do Bible engagement, literacy programs. If people can't read a Bible, there's no point in getting a Bible to them, so they train them to read using the Bible. It's incredible. Literacy and then Bible translation where there's no Bible in the language. We just had Kwawi Sen come over from China. When we get a Bible into the hands of someone in China, they have influenced a pastor's training course we helped with over there. They have one pastor on ratio to nearly 7,000 people. Just massive need. So it's not only getting one Bible in the hand of one person that influences thousands. Imagine if we get a Bible in all those six to 7,000 people's hands. The impact is huge. We're talking millions, 40 to 100 million people in China. And where the Bibles come from, now some of you may not know, but this is the biggest Bible printing press in the world. Do you know where that's located? Nanjing province, communist China. Do you know how many Bibles they print off every year? Do you know how many they print off every day? Do you know how many they print off every second? They print one Bible every single second. And here it is. Look at that. Boom. Bible. Bible. You know, the challenge here is we used to have a quota of getting 4 million Bibles to Chinese people, but because we couldn't raise enough money, the Chinese government said, oh, well, we'll just let you have a quota of 3.3 million this year, 2019. We're, We're... gutted so we're determined to help the Chinese people that's just one thing and I'm going man this is a big responsibility one thing that really helps gets me going is 7,100 languages and dialects around the world there's only 600 well it's actually now 652 full Bibles in someone's heart language do you know in, in, in Australia there's there about actively 154 Aboriginal dialects there used to be five to six hundred. Now, do you know how many Bibles there are full Bibles in Aboriginal languages? Some of you guys probably know, actually. 
I can see some of my friends there. There's one, the Creole version. One full Aboriginal Bible. The next after that is the Pitjantjara version, which is in the central APY lands, right around Alice Springs in South Australia. That's got um, probably 20% of the Old Testament and all the New Testament. Then there's the Gunwingu version, which has a complete New Testament and three Old Testament books in the Northern Territory where I come from. So what have I learned? From Indigenous living childhood, I learned culture, food, having a heart that's soft for Aboriginal people. What have I learned from living on a farm with my grandparents? I learned to respect my elders. I learned about God's creation. I learned about hard work, character building. What have I learned from working in a hardcore legalistic church? I've learned accountability, intensity, hard work, Bible memorization, which is fast fading. I learned sensitivity to differences between denominations, definitely. And I learned how not to lead a church. I became a financial planner. What I learned from that, relationship management, finance, budgets, empathy for people and understanding their needs. I learned about corporate structures. I went to Bible college. It made me actually really sit down and listen to people from different backgrounds, different denominations, and gave me a heart for other people and diversity of religion. When I got burnt out from Scripture Union, though I learned about working together with people from different denominations and understanding and pacing myself in the importance of family. But the common pattern between all these experiences really is what? The Bible. And listening to the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Scriptures. You know, and this has to be at every stage. And I cried out to God and I read a lot of Bible at every stage. Even when things were going well, I had to force myself to read the Bible to not rely on my own strength. Praying all the time, crying out actually is more like it. God, why in the world is this happening to me? I pray with my wife currently and we've had done for years as I have it four or five times a week. We just go like we did this morning. We just hold hands and we just walk around the neighborhood for 15, 20, 25 minutes and just take turns to pray quietly. And it keeps our intimacy, our openness and she then gets a gauge of where I'm at and I get with where she's at. We share devotions on um, the Bible app you can actually share with friends or your partner. You can actually then be updated with a little notes and you can keep each other in touch with what you're reading. But you know what? I just want to share with you something that really convicted me in this job and this statistic really blew me away. We did this survey recently in the Bible Society There's a, and it's called the Crisis in Church Bible Engagement Survey. Did you know that those who read or listen to the Bible at least four days a week have higher odds of serving the poor? 37 times, 37% more odds of actually helping the poor and having a heart for the poor if you read your Bible four times a week at least. These are true stats. If you read the Bible four times a week, you'll have 40% higher chance of sharing the gospel with someone. It'll be on your heart. This is actually what's happened in you know, the community. And this figure here really got me. Applying what God asked for more often, 100 120% higher chance you'll actually apply it and put it into practice if you read it, if you read it at least four times a week. 155% higher odds of having more significant prayer if you read the Bible four times a week. And lastly, 740% higher chance of you actually sharing the gospel with someone if you read your Bible. That's why I'm proud to work with the Bible Society. Now, I'm not here representing the Bible Society today, but it's just what's been brought on me. I'm just convicted. I'm called to this. I love it. It's amazing. And 
But then God called me to something else. Just last year, um, and uh, about this time of year, about 12 months ago, we got an internal message through you, uh, not Facebook, through Workplace, Facebook's version in internal communication. Louis Sherman, our missions coordinator, said, there's this new Bible arriving from Amity Printing Press in China. We've got the complete New Testament and three Old Testament books and a shorter Bible, it's called, of the Gunwingu language. 80 years in the making. And I said, hang on a second. I, I remember that being language being talked about. Hang on. And Reverend Dr. John Harris, no relation, who's one of our elders in the Bible Society, says, yes, that was your grandmother, Jonathan, who started the Gunwingu Bible translation in 1936. <sighs> Couldn't believe it. And then the text proofs came through for them to read. This is, this is just last March, April, last year. And this is my grandma and granddad. That's uh, Dick and Nell Harris. 1936, she actually followed my grandfather up to the mission station up there. And they were just Aboriginals still coming out of the bush. No English. And the mandate in those days from the government and from the mission services, teach them all English. So they can be westernized, so we can smooth the pill of a dying race because they're all being murdered and shot out. So let's protect them on the mission station. They're rescue centers. But Grandma got frustrated because she just couldn't get the core of the gospel into their hearts. My granddad was carrying placards with pictures, with art, Whitefellas art, to the other side of the billabong at Odenpelly, trying to help them understand that Jesus loves them. But she said, it's not enough. She sat down under a bark hut. And with the help of Rachel and Hannah, these Aboriginal ladies, and she said, let's just get this down in your language. Five verses every day, Rachel, Hannah, and Nell, she was, her training was a school teacher, and they started writing this down. Five verses. Uh, six years later, a linguist travelled up to visit and learn about the Aboriginal languages from Sydney University. And, he's, and they said, oh, you might be interested in this book, and he saw Grandma's handwritten language work. And uh, he said, this is phenomenal. I've got to go and show this to people. Can, I, can you actually type it out for me and I'll borrow this? He took it down to Sydney and showed it to the British and Foreign Bible Society, as it was called in those days. And they said, this is tremendous. We've got to print this. So one of the first ever Bible translations in Australia was printed in 1942 the year that Darwin was bombed by the Japanese. You know, and it's just went back up there and it was... And I, I said to my dad, I couldn't believe this, I said to my dad up on the farm in Tamworth just last year, I said, do we have any of Grandma and Granddad's stuff at all? And he says, oh, yeah, it's all out in the shed. I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, all their original letters and documents and everything. So with my sister and my brothers, we just went out there and started digging around and we found this which is my grandfather's complete correspondence. Everything he'd written for years and love letters to his wife and from him to her, her to him and other things and three suitcases. And I found inside this box the actual very copy of the translation, the Gospel of Mark into the Gunwingu language that these ladies had written down. And I said, the only reason I recognised was John the Baptist. They couldn't translate Baptist into a Gunwingu and baptise. 83 years old. So I grabbed that 
And then I also dug deep and also found Grandma's first copy of her translation and Rachel and Anna's that got printed. That's her name at the top. And so I, I said to my bosses, to um, Scott and Greg Clark, the CEO, and I said, I've got to be able to deliver this to the people. Please let me go. Because they're just arriving, the ship from Amity. And I said, and they said, yep, yeah, go for it. And so this is a story. Uh, Eternity News said, let's go. These are actually all the stuff we dug out of the boxes. And they said, let's make a video out of this delivering. And here it is. G'day, my name's Jonathan Harris. This is my family farm, Wangala. This is about one and a half hours north of Tamworth, northern New South Wales. My dad moved here with my grandparents, Dick and Nell Harris, in 1977, and they just retired from missionary work in the Northern Territory. So I spent my first eight or nine years growing up out on the mission at Gumbalonia. And we recently found something special just three months ago in the shed, some special suitcases and a storage chest. So we pulled these out of Grandad's treasure chest of uh, stored documents. And this is the exercise book that Grandma first started writing in when she sat down under a bark hut and did five verses a day. And this is her handwriting. First translation of the Kunwingu language in the Gospel of St. Mark. My mother began the translation work in about 1936. At that stage, there was still a lot of Aboriginals just literally coming out of the bush who couldn't speak any English at all, not even one word. And the attitude in those days that the Aboriginals were a dying race, uh, it was better to teach them English, um, uh, which disregarded the fact that all the time they spoke in their own language. But mum was concerned that uh, these people couldn't understand the scriptures and on a daily basis she translated uh, uh, five verses, they aimed at doing five verses a day uh, with Rachel and later Hannah and that's how it started. Uh, there's been a lot of work by a lot of translators uh, like Steve Etherington and, uh, um, uh, to uh, put this together and I, I, I think it will be used a lot. This is a Kunwingu Bible. It's uh, been a long work in progress since the 1930s. It's finally arrived and it's gone from translators in Northern Australia to Amity Printing Press. It's come on a ship. It's uh, landed at the docks here in Sydney and it's just arrived at the Kurong Bible Society warehouse. It's called a shorter Bible because it has the whole New Testament and three Old Testament books included in it. Very exciting time. And I now have the privilege of delivering the printed Bibles to the people of Gunbalanya.
He just crossed over Cahill's Crossing at the East Alligator River. Uh, this is the road to Gumbalanya, originally known as Owen Pelly. And, uh, and this is the Red Lily Billabong. This is where I first threw out my hand line and caught my first barramundi. Really, really special memories. And my friend, Whoa. this is a very special book. God knew he couldn't look. And you know what? I was praying coming up here that I would find someone that I grew up and I went to school with mm -hmm. so that I could actually share the good news with them too. Because uh, it's very important to us that you know, this is your, your language, your words. So we want to give it back to you. Thank you. <laughs> and you're here now. And we're here now together. Today we are very happy. It's been a long time. We've all been looking forward to see our Bible returning home. Close it, sister. I love God's word. I love how people, um, when they're sharing the word of God and the interpretation the Lord gives them, uh, the word of God is so close to me. It makes me cry sometimes, but it's really inspiring to me. So I'm so, um, I'm so happy that we have it in, in, in the language. Mm -mm. Holding this Kuningu Bible, it means everything to the community and, uh, oh very very good like we want to read more and more and people want to listen more and more this is our future this is what we need our kids to learn and to understand and to share share the good news amongst our people not only in this community but sharing out to to um, other community as well other families that we have our and it's very important that the word of God is here in my community now, and I'm so very happy. I love to share the word of God to my own people in my own language. So the people, they come to know the Lord. In the words of Bishop Greg Anderson, who was at the celebration up there, he said, God is so kind to Jonathan to allow him to come back into his grandmother's story. And you know what? In this audience here, there's a whole lot of Esthers, Davids, Deborahs, Moses. You know what? This is a time where I was blown away by the fact that I stepped on him on the stage and told this story and we had an Aboriginal fellow come up and share with me from that place and we got this, this, everyone just stood up just, just clapping and it was at ACC New South Wales Conference and I was overwhelmed thinking, God, what have you done? This story is be beyond me. I guess now I know why I'm here. 
this family that was in the video, they adopted me back and say, your father's Nagajok skin line? Oh, you're my brother because you're Narbaline skin line. Come with me and meet your aunties, your nana, and your sisters and your brothers. God adopted me back in. I could do nothing on my own. God did it. I wonder what God's going to do in your lives after today. What's he doing right now in your life? I praise God that he can use me. I praise God for that. Thanks so much for having me today. Thank you, Jonathan. You know, the thing I love the most about your story, there's so much in it, but I love that how every little bit, the good stuff, the bad stuff, it was all that sort of that preparation. We've talked about this before, wasn't it? That unique preparation for what you're doing today. And I love how your bosses have said you can give the rest of your time with Bible Society, Jonathan shared this with me, to translating more and more languages in the Bible. Isn't it cool how God takes his childhood, his teenage years, his adult life and puts, weaves it all together and goes, now this is what you're doing, your assignment on the earth right now. So we, um, as a church, we, we encourage and are so love what these guys are doing and what Jonathan's doing and we're looking at ways that we can continue to partner in that. As you know, we partner with the guys up in Arnhem Land. We're sending teams up there going again in July, but it's just great to hear someone with that. Just that story still blows me away, how childhood to today and the fact that you didn't know this was that press was turning up. It was like, imagine getting that email or that phone call. Hey, there's a Bible and it's being translated into Aboriginal language. Oh, where? Oh, the place you grew up. I was just like, God was at work that whole time. So thank you for sharing your story with us today.